What goes together better than football and beer? How about football and free beer? This week's episode of At Jim Bobcast is sponsored by Beer 52, the world's largest craft beer club. At Jim Bobcast are giving all of their UK listeners a chance to get their hands on a free case of eight craft beers from Beer 52. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash Jim Bob and just cover the postage cost of £5.95. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme, giving you the full craft beer tasting experience. And it doesn't stop at beer either. There's a magazine telling you all about the beers and a cheeky little snack to tantalise the taste buds some more. I'm all over the Nargill Coconut Pastry Stout this month. But if dark beers aren't your thing, you can choose the light beer only option too. Remember, you can pause or cancel at any time. So go to www.beer52.com forward slash Jim Bob, pay the $5.95 postage and get your beers now. Good evening, welcome to At Jim Bob Cast. It's episode 20. I'm Jim. And I'm Bob. Good evening, Robert. James, how you doing, Albine? Good to see you, actually. Yeah, it's actually, it is quite well. good. I know, I know. And I'm white-haired, as you duly pointed out, off cam. You have the whitest head I've seen in a while. My nice tan yes. lines. You've got beautiful tan lines, actually. <laughs> no, I'm good. Yes. I'm... I'm. Um, I feel like I'm nursing a little bit of a um, air-conditioned cold at the moment because the temperatures picked up a little bit here. We're like starting to get into thirty zone, so um, everyone's ramping up on the aircon. So you know, standard kind of the th- the unit that doesn't get cleaned. So it just propels dust around until uh, it's had a good <laughs> a good spring shuffle. So um, I think many, I think many, many years ago that reminds me of a girl I went out with. We used to call her the unit that doesn't get cleaned. <laughs> she was a lovely girl she was a lovely girl yeah the the girl that will remain unnamed she she fell she fell over once and cut her knee and gravy came out oh my goodness (laughs) anyway let's move on actually uh after all this laughter incredibly sad news actually isn't it yeah the football community mourned the loss of two people uh in as many days actually uh firstly on Sunday the 28th, the sad news that Glenn Roder passed away age 65 after suffering a long illness with a brain tumour. Very, very sad. You know, Glenn Roder managed Newcastle, played for Newcastle, was a player at QPR as well. You know, and, and at West Ham when he was a coach there, he he was he earned this reputation for developing these young players. And you know, if you see the players that came through under to Roder, you know, you have Michael Carrick, Joe Cole, Glenn Johnson, Jermaine Defoe. You know, not to, to, to name a few. And he was he was a, he was a top man as well, such a lovely bloke. Don Hutchinson uh, revealed a story about when his dad was poorly. Glenn Roder said, "Get in the car, go down to it." And Glenn actually talked to him for the full length of that that car journey. So that's a that's an amazing person. And then uh, just today, second uh, of March, the the passing of. Liverpool and or TV legend Ian St. John. You know, Ian St. John, Liverpool legend, played 425 times for Liverpool, 118 goals and was there for a year. But for, I mean, for, the, for obviously we're much younger than this, but we obviously remember him as 
with Jimmy Greaves as Saint and Greavesy. You know, they were they were the Saturday afternoon television before Jeff Stelling, Paul Merson, et al. came to it. And they are um, they were brilliant on TV. They but they really talked about the game as well with so much passion and knowledge. So it's really sad to to lose two nice guys of football this week, you know, and we would like to offer their families and their loved ones our deeper condolences, which must be pretty, pretty bad for them. So, uh, you know, rest in peace, Ian St. John, rest in peace, Glenn Roder. You will be missed. Absolutely. Um, and echo that, because Glenn Roder, albeit it was through a, a greyer time for West Ham, who are uh, enjoying some, um, some large success at the moment, has produced some of England's finest talent, actually, to be fair. You know, both, um, I mean, all of the players that you mentioned actually went on to have illustrious premiership careers. And I think he was also integral in um, rearing Rio Ferdinand as well. Yes. He, you know, you know, you know, know, he's been in around that coaching and he's a proper, he was a proper coach, was Glenn Roder. Mm. You know, really understood. And, you know, he obviously didn't have as, as a great a success as maybe he could have deserved. But he did brilliantly at Newcastle for, for what it's worth. You know, Alan Shearer speaks very highly of him. Uh, and so does everyone that's ever come into contact with him. And I think that's a testament of people nowadays. When no one, when nobody has a bad word for you and they're not just being polite, they're being genuine. That's something that I do really find appreciative. And, and I think it's brilliant. So, yeah, rest in peace to the pair of them. So from the Arsenal point of view, what a week. Busy, busy, busy. I mean, obviously, um, a slightly different narrative for us because it's a week full of wins, indifferent in um, many ways. But yeah, I mean, look, we start with Benfica. I mean, everyone was on the edge of their seat, filling their nappy, anxious about what was going to go on. Back to Greece. We obviously um, had bad times there last year, getting knocked out to Olympiacos, who, funnily enough, we face in the next leg uh, of the 16 of the Europa League. And as a game, as a spectacle, which people probably thought it was going to be, viewing the game, it was so dull to start with. It, it, was, it, was, it was such a bizarre game, to be honest. I, I can't I think really... It's, um, it's a match where the scoreline has inflated the quality of the game dramatically to something better than it really, really was. You know, we, we won, the, obviously, both legs... Uh, We've we've managed to come through four three in aggregate, but all of the Benfica goals were were down to massive errors on our behalf, and that's across two legs. You know, so is four three even a flattering result for Benfica? You know, let's let's have a look at that because I personally, if you watch both games, I don't think they were really, you know, I don't think they were really on top for it. Yes, they were on top in on away goals at a period in time. But they were never really on top, were they? No, you're right, they weren't. And it was it was a bizarre game. You know, for the first 20 minutes, we hadn't really... There, there was nothing really happening. And I think, again, the anxiety element just kind of kicked in and kicks in and kicks in. And then, obviously, Aubameyang, sort of hero to zero to hero again, taking his first goal extremely well. That was a beautiful, beautiful goal. And at that moment in time, I was thinking, here we go. Here we go, you know, really looking for brilliant ball through, 
Uh, he obviously held the line just about squeaking uh, within the offside. I thought for a moment when we started looking at videos, that was a bit tight for my liking. But the goal stood, Arsenal went 1-0 up, and it was a brilliant goal, that. You know, it's as good a, good a pass and as finish as, you know, I have seen in a while from Arsenal. It was that thing that you know why you use Saka on the right-hand side because of the slip, because he is so good with that left foot of his. And just the the kind of, it was almost like the old Erdl, you know, non-look pass. You know, he was kind of looking up and slipped it through the line. And that was the decisiveness that we'd been missing from Aubameyang. And that is the minutiae of football because with the negligence to miss the target from four or five yards in the leg before, to then under pressure with the keeper and defender closing in, to nonchalantly lift it over very, very skillfully in a time where we really needed a goal, just shows... I, mean, I don't think anybody doubts the class that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang holds. You know, he maybe, is, maybe Jamie Redknapp. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yes, yes. But I mean, I, I, won't have, I won't hear anything against him about how much... In, in a one-on-one situation, he is talismatic. He's brilliant. There are parts of his game that I think, you know, Lacazette even, uh, is is better than he at. But I mean, it's horses for courses. I mean, Andy Carroll's better than bloody some strikers at certain... You know, Andy Carroll is better than Lionel Messi at heading a ball in the box because he's 90 foot tall. But but that, that that's 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 not a comparable thing. So you're absolutely right. There are no, things. But I mean, that the strike. point around Lacazette is, and we'll get on to Leicester thereafter, which is why I make the point, is because you know I think he's a more intelligent footballer, um, and I actually think in in the press, I think the intelligence of the footballer that he is actually he's a better defensive footballer as well. But that's that's by the by. You know, the game then fell on its head, didn't it? I mean, you you saw. You saw the side of Ceballos that I said to you is 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 coming. This, this I, and I think I coined the phrase of you exactly when you started asking me a week or so ago about how do I feel about Erdegaard, and I can't completely have him as a banker of, of a of a top class player, but he's starting to certainly show attributes of someone who looks like they have real ability on the ball. I don't feel concerned about Erdegaard in possession in tight areas, just like you never did. And I do refer a little bit to to Cazorla with you, where you thought, well, mm-hmm. he's in these tight spaces, he can manage himself out of it. Because he's but I do not feel in tight situations, either his technical ability or his decision making, I feel really, really unease with uh Ceballos. And well it's I think, you know, I've put it in the notes for today. It, it, it is fair to say that Sabias possibly had um, as bad a game as a player could want to have, you know. Both goals totally his fault. Obviously, he came out for and gave away the free kick that led, which was a great goal from Benfica. You know, superb free kick. But, you know, I'll tell you about that point, and I mentioned it to you on Thursday night watching the game. Yes, it was really bad from Sabias to, to give away that, but... I think thereafter, that moment, it was Karen Carney's only comment that she ever made at all. You know, Karen Carney kept on talking about how poor uh, that was there. But yeah, he's had a bad game. And whatever you want to to say about uh, Sabayos or, you know, like him, hate him, loathe him, love him, whatever you want, 
Nobody would wish that performance on any player. He has had an absolute Western supermare. You know, I almost, you know, he he's, you know, we're going to be probably talking about him on another article uh, later on when we when we use a, an abbreviation, uh, a few letters, because that's exactly what we'll probably be talking about. But uh, but yeah, poor old Sabios. But we'll be talking about you later, if not so much. Brilliant. But Saka on the other side of Ceballos, for fuck's sake, I'm swearing. The boy's 19. That's un. He is an act. What a masterclass. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean, two assists in the game. He is like what I assume. You imagine waking up at six o'clock in the morning in South Africa and you're off on safari. And, you know, the first thing you see is the dust settles and the wind isn't anything above five mile an hour. And you just see the elegance of a gazelle (laughs) just trotting along the safari line, just through the long grass. And you just, you know, you won't hear hear a pin drop as this thing just nonchalantly clocks 25 mile an hour skipping through the grass. That that is kind of what I feel about when I see Saka glides. He really, do you know what he actually does? We've talked about, is he one of Europe's elite? And he does glide with the ball similarly to, you know, that of a Messi. I mean, you know, one of his attributes, actually, that we don't really talk about that often is, I'm incredibly impressed how strong he is on the football for a man of his frame. For for a a rather petite youngster, obviously not fully developed yet, he is incredibly strong and durable in the pitch, which is probably one of the reasons why he's so versatile in many a position. Which is also what you see from from Messi, right? I mean, Messi's what, five foot eight, you know, he, he, again, a, a player who's just so difficult to get off the ball. And I, he, he was incredibly impressive. I mean, he pummels defences into into playing deep lines and he pushes the fullback right back to the byline. And he has the ability to, you know, disable the shape of a defensive unit by just pulling players left, right and centre. He's he's a modest player, isn't he? He's modest as well. Yeah, he is. And whilst I don't like the Smith-Rowe and Odegaard usage of both players, um, it kind of feels a bit like back in the day when, you know, England managers have tried to, like, coerce Skulls, Gerrard and Lampard into the same team. You just don't need to do it. And... And I did think in the first 40 to 50 minutes, we lost that, you know, penetrative winger who just hit the fullback the same same way Saka did. You know, and, and I also think it's a bit of a discredit to Smith-Rowe. If you're going to play Odegaard and rest Smith-Rowe, not a problem, you know, just let him watch from the sideline. Don't sacrifice a winger because you're trying to shoehorn him into the team. Especially when you've got players like Martinelli who physically can't get a minutes at all, who actually do play in that position. So, yeah. um that, that, that's quite bizarre. But look, the, the game, it's, it's difficult not to, to celebrate a result like that. And, and, and the good points were the bar the, the massive fuck-up from the two massive fuck-ups from Ceballos and an elite free kick. You know, defensively, we were fairly solid. Again, massive issues with Bellerin. You know, I, felt, I felt like he just, he just continued to play poorly. I mean, all, everything looked like it was coming down their left-hand side when they were getting at us. He continues to try and operate like this 
third defensive midfielder where he just seems to sit in and find himself in... I, I have been shouting about this week in, week out. I, and I text you about it. And I don't even know if sometimes you... Because I, t- I just keep on going on about it like I'm a like a drunk uncle in the corner of the room. And it's just like, he's inside. What's he doing inside? He's not meant to be there. He's meant to be on the flank. He's a fullback, you know. He's a wingback. He's not a central midfielder. He's not playing in the number 10 role. You know, as I, he's a masterclass in poor form. He is so good at playing badly at the moment. Is Hector Bellerin. You know, we look better when we didn't have him on the pitch. Yeah. I think it's tribute as well to the game against Leicester, which I think actually was Arsenal's best performance of the season. And I think I messaged you afterwards and said that I think that's actually, I, I think that's actually Arsenal's best back five. I, th- I think I, th- I certainly think if you look at the two fullbacks, you agree. I think we'll talk about more about the centre defending, the central defenders even when we look at the Leicester game. But yeah, I, I look that game on. The, the two mistakes that Sabayos made, though, and that almost let Benfica into the game, certainly gave them that away goal. They were ahead on aggregate, all of those things. That was, at that moment in time, that was indicative of exactly what we expected, realistically, from the game. Because it showed exactly all of the frailties that Arteta had done in the previous well, 150 minutes, if you will. And we were in that position where it's like, well, now Arsenal need a goal. Now Arsenal have to go for it. And maybe if we'd have gone for it in other games, we wouldn't have ever been in this sweaty, palmed, panicking moment. But he did take the risks. But the, and exactly. And the there was obviously a five-minute period where we were out of the tie. You know, Benfica were too... By a while. We were well out of tie for that moment in time. Yeah, and, and it was, you know, that five-minute period from when they went 2-1 up to when Tierney scored a wonder goal and just showed how, how, how he continues to just impress and impress and impress significantly more actually in forward positions than than I actually probably originally gave him credit for I thought he was just going to be a really solid fullback who would shore up our defence but he really is very useful bombing on and the way he's played recently scoring goals on the angle and taking shots and with his pullbacks, he's starting to remind me actually a little bit of Ashley Cole. I know that's a statement, but I mean, Ashley Cole at Arsenal was was of that age. You know, he arguably we lost him to Chelsea in his best years, but when he was that young and raw and had that pace and just got up and down, up and down, up and down, and played with the fight of a of an Arsenal fan, which he was born into. Um, you know him. You know when I watched Kieran Tierney play and I, I saw him score that goal on Thursday. Not only is he coming and bringing quality as a, as an individual, quality as a teammate, he's also bringing drive, guile, wanting to win, so much dedication to the calls. And when you tick all of those boxes, you just look at a player and think, wow. And he's been touted as a future Arsenal captain. And he is an absolute... He has that... I like the word colossus. And I think he has it for Arsenal. If he can stay fit, he's brilliant. But, 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 you know, that that was really, really interesting because, obviously, that was a Willian but, but, but assist. Back, exactly. Back onto that point. We were 2-1 down in the tie. And he and, and for one of the first times since I can remember, Arteta was forced, but it was great, to make 
attacking substitutions. And uh, Willian came on for Smith-Rowe, which is more of a shape change more so than an attacking substitution. But fundamentally, 10 minutes after that, he brings Lacazette on for Bellerin, which is an out-and-out uh, attacking substitution. Well, And also you had Party that came on for the failing Ceballos. And it was that substitution, you know, he showed just in that, that snippet of time he was on the pitch. He grabbed the game, turned it. Then that Lacazette substitution for Bellerin, which was a key moment in the game. And he showed, and, and, um, Party though showed how much time a player can have on the ball if they've got that level of class. It's the difference, you know, someone who feels rushed on the ball and then someone who dictates the game. They're, they're the class differentials, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, why not? Do you just what? It's like when you're in a really good fast car or a really luxurious car, you're driving along and you don't notice you're in a, you don't notice the bumps in the road. You don't notice how fast you're going. It's just like, this is nice. Like a Vorsprung Q7 at 7am on a Tuesday morning. Mate, no. I mean, look, not, not, a, not an automatic car. It's not even a car, an automatic. It's like driving, isn't it? You it's complete like fuck. No, no sports cars <laughs> of modern age are manual, you clown. You know, Sean, you know, Sean Connery driving a fucking 69 Aston Martin. You're... Look, OK. So, but no, but Party came on. He really was elite and he did so much for it. Yeah, and, and better going off. Fantastic. I applauded that. No, and, and to you be know, fair, it was the turning point, which we'll get on to William very much so in the Leicester game, because... Uh, um, but, you know, he came onto the point, the pitch, we were losing the game. He walked off the pitch for 30 minutes under his belt and we went from losing the game to winning the game, which is integral. I mean, for his, I mean, normally he has been the vice to Arsenal, the bad omen. The kryptonite to our success. Absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. And the tables turn in the week where he says, I wish I stayed at Chelsea. I mean, it's fucking farcical. You wouldn't even write it. I mean, at that point, he was he was fuck of the week. He was right up in the high echelons. And, and, and to be fair, again, you know, um, I mean, it was slightly more laughable. It was kind of the... Um, Weak. I mean, it was laughable when he got the assist because it was a it was a weak assist at the time. I mean, Tierney did everything. It was very much the Bellerin to Pepe at Sheffield United kind of. Well, assist. I think I think I tweeted uh, Willian taking credit for that assist is like Mac Hancock Mac Hancock taking credit for the vaccine rollout. You know, <laughs> but no, it was an assist, and and obviously what's happened after that, he's really got some confidence about him. Mm. But Bellerin off, Lacazette on, Saka then given the whole responsibility of the right-hand side by himself. 19-year-old boy, there you go, have the right-hand side. But he was supported so well but then, by the rest of the players. Well, you got the benefit of party just dropping in, reading the game, who would cover him and just play slightly deeper and get the ball to him more fluidly. And then in the dying embers of the game when, you know... We're out, we're out. The proper brilliance of the boy, actually, really stepping up to the mark. I mean, that ball on the angle is so lethal. I mean, it's it's, it's arguably undefendable, you know, and and he's already got the bit between his teeth scoring a fine goal earlier about Miang. He is just in the hunter's position and um, has very little to do, really, because of the quality of the assist. I mean, now that's a proper assist. That's what assist should be, yes. Again, you know, he just 
we shouldn't be relying on these lads from Hale End. You know, this is, and, and I've seen a couple of the interviews this week, Xhaka especially actually, really stepping up to the plate and saying the senior players relying on these young players is not on. They should be looking up and aspiring to the levels that we're producing. It shouldn't be the other way around. The senior players need to look at themselves. And I, one, you get my absolute respect for your humility for saying that in an open interview, which goes out to millions of people. And secondly, you're fucking absolutely right. And also coming from a player who arguably has been Arsenal's most informed player of 2021, Granite Xhaka. I mean, I think I think the way that we're looking at these youngsters to to really be the catalyst for our team is sort of like when you look to buy a house and you should be looking to buy a house because of the surroundings, what the house is. But no, no, the reason you buy the house is because it's got a very good kitchen. You know, and that's exactly what the scenario is. You know, Saka should be the bloke that Aubameyang's playing well, uh, Pepe's playing well, uh, Party's playing well, as is Xhaka. And all of a sudden, this young lad, this 19-year-old, it's, it's taking two one-wins and making them three and four one-wins rather than the bloke that gets the one-all draw, which is the case how it's been so many times this season. It was great, you know. Saka is playing the game so advanced of his years right now. He should be something we really rejoice and be talking about. I mean, we've been guilty this season after victories to start coming out and praising the world. We're not going to do it. You know, our favourite saying, one swallow doesn't make a summer. But I think in I think in the instance of Saka, the time is now to rejoice him. But that 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 wasn't a performance about flaws. A, a well done or a soft pat on the back is also due to Burn Leno. That was his hundredth appearance for Arsenal. But you know, Bellerin didn't come without flaws in that game. Louise was solid. I think Gabriel was probably rightfully rested at Leeds. He looked slow on the turn. He he has not recovered from that COVID incident. He's certainly not the same player pre-December when he was rightfully winning um, players of the month regularly. Um, Tierney shows how much we miss him, but then also echoes, in my opinion, how much we need a left-footed left-back and not signing a backup to him grates me every time I watch him play or go down because he plays the game so intense, you know, that he draws injuries. He plays at full throttle all the time, absolutely. Party coming on for Ceballos shows actually still how short we are in midfield, even though people are talking about paying 25, 30 million for Ceballos on a permanent transfer, which I think is fucking mental, to be honest. If we do that, that's an absolute Western of a decision. And, and I think with his team selection, Arteta got it wrong, picking Smith Rowe and Odegaard. I think he had to, and, and I think he found that out at Leicester. So where I feel like I've got to critique him for his team. He got away a bit with the correct substitutions and and he, to his credit, learned from it in the Leicester game. Because I think everybody looked at the lineup in Leicester, which we'll review very shortly, and evidently he got it right for this game, you know, but like you say, one swallow. So, um, look, all, all in all, we're through the tie. There are still massive question marks over Sapayos, Bellerin, G- Gabriel for me as well at the moment. And Yeah, I think that you, you're right. You're absolutely right. It was a great win. We got through. That's probably going to really kick us on a little bit, you know, in the next few games to come. But there is still moments of inquest that is need to be had with some of the playing staff. And you and have potentially to be, and you have to be flawless in cup competitions. Do you know what I mean? They are. There's there's no margin for error. You know, it it is a win or lose situation. There's no draw. You know, 
and 16 now gets tough. Then it becomes eight. And now you're into the minutiae where you're into the elite of the competition. And then you're eight, four, two, one. And, you know, we spoke about it and there's still a lot of really good teams in this competition. And, you know, that performance against Benfica will get punished by other opposition. Yeah, it's it's not good enough. You're not going to get the... Saka's not going to get that chance to score the last... to put that crossing in the last minute for Aubameyang to score. You know, you're going to get punished for that. But, you know, hopefully party's back, so... and you're starting to strengthen the team. So I, th- I think it's it's a start. Yeah, it is. Right. It is a start. Robert, next point. So we are sponsored by the wonderful people at Beer 52 this week. Uh, as you heard at the beginning, we do have the ability for you to have some free beer, uh, which again, we'll give you the link for in a second. And and this week, this month's Beer 52 box is is, is actually got a theme called your next favourite beer. And it's got eight delicious beers to choose from in there. And uh, we're going to, I picked one, obviously, because... Where I am, uh, I can have this. Jamie's uh, the other side of the world, so he can't. I've picked one to try live on the show tonight. So all you need to do to, to get these beers is go to www.beer52.com forward slash Jim Bob, cover the postage and packing cost of £5.95, and you can join in the fun with eight free craft beers and a snack and a magazine too. Can't be wrong with that. So what are we drinking then, Jim? Here it is in the can. Beautiful little drop here. It is called Rhubarber Streisland. <laughs> what a fantastic name. And it is a rhubarb milkshake pale ale. 5.5%. So it's relatively strong for the modest drinker out there. You know, an aficionado like myself, though, should manage to get through this and a podcast without slurring too many words. So, uh, shall we have a look and shall we have a try it? Let's crack the can open. But we do like a, crown, a can crack on the uh, Jim Bobcast, don't we? Normally, it is a uh, caffeinated beverage in a can. The first thing, Jim, that when you open this, you'll get is an amazing smell. It's like, it smells like, you know, rhubarb and berries, strawberries, and there's a little zing before there's a like a creamy custardy It's like a school dinner in a can, you know, going back to jam, roly, poly and custard. But let's give it a guzzle. It's really, really rhubarb It's like popping candy, uh, dancing all over your tongue, you know. Not quite a two-footed tackle from Sabios to give away a free kick, more the flair and caressing of a sacker. But it is really, really nice. It's creamy, almost like rhubarb crumble with custard. And it floats deliciously down your throat. You know, there's even a hint of warmth, like a little ginger biscuit. You know, I think this is a delicious beer. Thank you to our friends at Beer 52 for allowing us to try this. And I love it. You guys will love it too. Just go there. Go do it www.beer52.com forward slash Jim Bob. Pay the $5.95 postage packaging. Get your beers now. If you do this today, they'll deliver this exact same crate to your, your house. 
You know, there's no commitment. You can pause, which if you're James is a good thing because obviously if you just decide to piss off for a few months, you you won't have a load of cans building up outside the front of your house. <laughs> you know, but you could pause it or cancel at any time if you you know if lockdowns hit you a bit hard and you and you need to take a breath from the booze. So yeah, it's a brilliant thing, Beer Fifty Two. I've actually been with Beer Fifty Two for a while now. Uh, you know, they they deliver some good stuff. The snacks are amazing. You know, this month I had some little uh, barbecue-flavoured corn kernels, which were absolutely piquant to the max. So remember it, people. Get out there. Do it now. www.beer52.com forward slash Jim Bob. Get the beers in the fridge. Bang, bang, bang. That was Beers with Bob. No doubt we'll have another one soon. He, uh, well, you like thoroughly enjoyed rhubarb Streisand. Uh, rhubarb Streisand is is one. It's it's a nice beer actually. It's very drink. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna drink it throughout the podcast. If you see me silent for a moment, it's because I'm having a little beverage. No worries at all. Whilst Bob enjoys the rhubarbs and the Streisands, I will just um, another little point actually. Anniversary this week of 19 years since. Well, not arguably. I mean. Definitely the best goal to date in Premier League history. That infamous Burkham goal versus Newcastle, where <sighs> uh, I think it was Stephen Taylor. Nikos Dabizas, he made look like a small child. I don't know why I always think of Stephen Taylor. Oh, it's because I saw a video of Stephen Taylor this week on Lad Bible where the ball was dribbled around the keeper and um, the player took a shot and he infamously dived for it and saved it with the kind of inside of his arm, but then purred to the referee as if it hit him in the chest and sort of jerked as if he'd been shot, trying to convince the referee that it, didn't, it was not a handball, albeit the referee was not to be conned, and led to an automatic red card. The referee used a circular red card, Bob. I used to like the oh, circular red card. a circular red card. What a beautiful thing. You know, it doesn't get caught, doesn't get caught in the pocket so easy. It just slips out. <laughs> No, but the Burkamp goal, 19. Burkamp at 19. 19 years to the day, 2nd of March, uh, 2002. What a goal that was, James. I mean, anyone I who listens to the Christmas special knows how I feel about Dennis Burkamp. I mean, not only do we share wizardry skills, we also have beautiful blonde hair. Although uh, he's he's not as adverse to flying as you, James. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is true. You know... In my opinion, he is the greatest Arsenal player ever, you know, like I say, relating to the Christmas special. And um, that goal, uh, when he, in his, I love it, the moment he he describes the goal to Ian and he talks about the pass that he received, I think from Pires, and he actually goads him. He says, oh, well, the pass wasn't great, so I had to kind of rework my body. And then, you know, the obvious thing was just to do this and just describes it so nonchalantly about... Like he's making a fucking sandwich. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just a slice of bread and a piece of cheese and then the other slice of bread. I don't even need to butter it. It's just a cheese sandwich. Like, it's not even a club sandwich. And you're talking to me about char-grilling chicken and, and uh, <laughs> frying, frying it's, bacon yeah, That's exactly it. It's, it was, it's, it's, it's just, yeah. I mean, and it just, it's actually perfect because it's a single memory that actually signifies a career of brilliance. And a goal like that is 
it, it's just perfect, actually, isn't it? How it's 19 years ago and it still feels like something, if it happened tomorrow, it would silence football on social media. Like, can you Absolutely. imagine if there was Twitter and Instagram and that goal was scored? It would just be memed everywhere. It, that's it. That's the, that's the end of the world. Twitter would break. You know, it was one of those finest goals, but it's also a goal for me that symbolises that era of Arsenal Football Club symbolises that era of greatness, that we go from one end of the pitch to the other in split seconds with different players participating with passes and movements. And it's finished in such a gorgeous way that you talk about it forever and ever and ever. And the way Burkamp finishes it, you almost neglect the fact that it was him that casually sprayed the 30-yard pass out to Robert Perez on the left flank and then glided into the box as the ball comes back, you know. It is brilliant, that goal. Everything about it is fantastic. One of my favourite moments is, is Nikos Dabizas looking like... He almost looks like a child that's just been told, told Santa Claus doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> the utter bemusement, the stain, upset, every motion going through his head. But Nikos Dabazas knows that he will be forever known as the player that had it done to them. I know. Well, I mean, still 19 years after his career is being recognised as a mockery. Basically, I mean, Nikos Dabizas's son has just had a child that is now being bullied because of that. It's that long ago. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the shit I come up with in my head. <laughs> but no, I loved that Burkamp goal. Nikos it was Dabizas one of my favourite. Uh, sounds things. like one of one half of Stavros Flatley. Was he not on Britain's Got Talent? Like, sort of... Stavros Flatley, one of my favourite ever acts on Britain's Got Talent. No way. I think he could do. A... Oh, they were because what they stood for is good humour and brilliance. Have you seen the young lad now? He's probably got a six pack or something. Oh, he's he's a fine individual. Oh, no Beautifully way. slender. Yeah. He looked like I mean, he had that, a severe issue with water retention. <laughs> he looked like he had a severe issue with sweets. <laughs> yeah. But no, no. No, Britain's got... Do you think there's actually a career in plate smashing? Do you think people make money doing this? Oh, mate, uh, just round the corner from where we both used to frequent in good old Isha, the Greek vine of Claygate, was, a, was, a, was, was an infamous restaurant... Uh, Back in the old Capital FM days, Chris Tarrant used to have the big Helper London Child gigs down there. Yeah. Often was down at the Greek Vine in Claygate. I remember. I don't know if it's there anymore, actually. I think, I think the owner lost it. Uh, this is allegedly. I think the owner lost it in a game of cards to someone else, and it's now a curry house. <laughs> <laughs> I shit you not. So, yeah, but Burkamp at 19, uh, I'm going to watch that a few more times on Twitter and videos tonight. That 2001-2002 team that won the won the double, actually, uh, that was Perez, Perez's amazing season when he was that good. Oh, Perez you know, that was always a, that good. But that was the season we got injured right there and missed out in the cup and things like that. That was, uh, that was such a great... Was that the uh, It's Only Ray Parler season? We won the double at Old Trafford that year. 0-1-0-2. That's in... Yeah, that was the season we won the uh, March, May the 8th, 2002, when we won the double at Old Trafford. I remember it so very well because uh, I had ingrown toenails removed that day. 
Fantastic. As you do, casually. But no, uh, so yeah, that was, a, that was a great team. We didn't lose an away game all season. That, he was yeah. the, he, uh, Robert Perez that season was the football writer's footballer of the year and Arsenal player of the year. He was one of the, f- that was one of the best performances I've seen from a player uh, in a whole season. He was so good at football that year. I mean, he was so good at football year after. Do you know what Robert Perez, he's, he's an interesting one because he played in an era at Arsenal where, you know, you still had the infamous back five of the Graham era and or, or, and some of it was moving on, but you had plenty of it still. And then you also had, obviously, Bergkamp and Henri, which just stole all the plaudits. Normally, you know, Andy Gray just perved over them on a regular, regular basis. But, you know, I, Bobby Perez, he went through a period at Arsenal where I, I actually feel like, I mean... Again, I don't know who is responsible for scouting him, but he didn't do a lot at Marseille the two seasons he was there. But obviously at Mets before that, he was starting to score double figures goals. And um, and Wenger was the person who was obviously most attributed to watching the French league earn very closely with some of the people that he brought in from his time there. But, you know, he went through a period, Perez, where... 01 to 05, you know, his worst return was 14 goals with 16, 19 and 17 in the other seasons. And players now who play in that kind of inside forward position are regularly kind of regarded in very high regard for for, for return of goals like that. And and credit to um, credit to Frankie, to be fair, who pointed that out, because a lot of people probably don't don't actually Pick a pick a pick an inside forward in the league now. Go on, any inside forward you like in the Premier League. Mane, not as good as Perez. Not even nowhere near as good as Perez. Well, uh, I don't know if I. It's not. It's not. It's not nowhere near as good. I'm not having it. He's good, but he's not as near as good because Robert Perez played in a time where if the left back or the right back got near you, he clattered you, and he didn't get booked. Nor did he get a free kick against him. I mean, he had a hundred. You know, he had a hundred and three contributions in a hundred and ninety-eight games in the Premier League for Arsenal. I mean, that's uh, a century of contributions in a hundred and ninety-eight. Um, he, play, he played up against Gary Neville. You know, he played up against proper right backs, proper left. You know, he's a real good player. So yeah, no, Mane Perez is much better than him. Absolute certainty. Like, like a long way better than him as well. That's 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 the level I'm going here. Like a a good step. I mean, yeah, his, his Arsenal career is fucking ridiculous, actually. 57 assists, 85 goals for Arsenal. 15, go- 15 goals short of the one Yeah. You know, that's brilliant. Yeah. And they farted up that penalty. Yeah, but then you also remember periods for goals like the one against Villa, which is just fucking outrageous. So The chip over Schmeichel. Yeah. And the, and the goal against Southampton as well, which was another divine... Uh, that that was the the start of the forty nine, wasn't it? That that game against Southampton, the six nil win. Jermaine Pennant uh, also scored a hat trick that game. I mean, a, a contribution every hundred and forty five minutes, which actually we didn't do him when we did any of the stats with the kind of Fabregas's and the and the Erzels and the and the such the like, and that would have had him right in the business end of. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that's actually a contribution, arguably within minutes of bird camps to be fair and we didn't even he wasn't he, he wasn't even recognized which is fucking outrageous from us to be honest so um 
I wonder why that team was good. If you add them three players together, Burkamp, Henri and Perez, shit me. You know, you you are turning up 2-0 down, aren't you? Well, and you pay people like Wiltord on the bench, like clucking, you know, like uh, one of the three ladies outside Molyneux. Um, you know, you know, Carnu uh, was in that team. Oh my God, yeah, Carnu was in that team. And, and do you know, he never had his first name ever printed in a programme. Really? Because of how it was spelt. Oh. <laughs> and because of how it's pronounced. Yeah, it was always Carnu, never... Never Nwankwo. Yes, that's, that's, that's true. Anyway, let's move on from Burkamp at 19 to one of our favourite features of uh, the week. My favourite feature. And this week... <laughs> this week's... You know, there's been some contenders for this week's fuck of the week. There was a, there was a late rally this morning as I was on my way to Heathrow Airport, James, to, uh, to, to collect your vehicle for you. The cab driver... I'll call him Jordanov. Uh, I don't know if that was his name. He he was absolutely, you know, as I said to you, I nearly removed my shoe at one point to slap him because he was in subordination of not listening to where I wanted to go. The main objective of a cab driver is to take you from the place you wish to be picked up from to the place you wish to be dropped off at. And he was he was advising me that even though I was explaining to him in quite detail where I needed to go, no, no, you do not want to go there. You want to go to the other side of the place. No, pal, I need to go there because that's where the car park is. <laughs> no, if I go into the car park, I pay five pounds. Matey, I do not care. Just drop me off. But he was close. But obviously, it would be remiss of us this week not to not to bring FOTW in house, and it's I'm, I'm sorry, but this week's this week's fuck of the week, uh, not solely because of their performance against Benfica, is Danny Sabias, but more so are they labelled as fuck of the week because I believe we need to shout out how bad that performance was to prevent 23 million English pounds being spent on a fuck of the week. <laughs> you cannot have it. You know, we have ignored Lee Mason. We can't give it to a ref every week. But Lee Mason, you didn't do that anymore. But now Danny Sabias, fuck of the week on our 20th episode. Congratulations, son. You can take that back with you along with your Arsenal water bottle when you return to Real Madrid after your loan. <laughs> you fuck. Indeed. What an absolute fuck. Leicester City early on Sunday morning. Leicester City 1, Arsenal 3. Which, which was a shocker. Really? Uh, I, I was shocked you know, by it after seeing the team. I said to you, didn't I? When, when you said, "You said, James, what do you think of that team?" And I said, mm, "Split, split, split opinions. Love the back five. Don't like the middle two. Quite like the quite like the three, but I'm not sure about William. And I do like Lacazette, and I think he's due a game. But that's what you said. You did say Pepe and Lacazette needed minutes, which is absolutely true. You know, just rolled out of bed myself. And aside when I saw the team sheet, I was just having my traditional pre-match shave and the the alert came up on my phone and I saw it and I was like, for fuck's sake. Sensible decisions with likes of giving people a game, rotating the squad. 
But but yeah, you know, there was you know seeing seeing El Nene in that game, I didn't expect to see. I would have probably. It was a fun. It was, what we said before the game was. I said really happy to see Mary back in the team. Buzzing to see Cedric play right back, which I haven't seen for ages. Always happy to see Leno in the side, you know, because don't need fucking Ron Stoppable or um, or Matt Ryan getting a game. And, and you know, and Tierney is is Kieran Tierney. He's colossus. I mean, but then you think, for fuck's sake, Pepe's in the team. I am a Pepe fan. I'm I'm, I'm open to it. I'm a Pepe fan. Like, but and then I'm like. And I'm getting, and I'm supplying him with. I've got Xhaka and fucking Elneny breaking through the lines, trying to, you know. And Smith Rose back in the ten. It's kind of like fuck me. Give me a dad and like, do you know what I mean? Finally, give me a bacon roll, and you know, and you give me brown bread. It's one of them, isn't it, James? It's 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 like you you turn up at somebody's house for a barbecue. You brought the finest wagyu. And they, you look, and they've got a Tesco's disposable that they just lit up, uh, and you're like, "That's well, well, what we're going to do here then?" Uh, but yeah, that's exactly it, you know. <laughs> but yeah, we were we were in a terrible state, and I you can know, just after, imagine after, you going to a barbecue where it's got every likeliness to have disposable barbecues cooked on fake coal, and you turn up with wagyu beef. <laughs> You can imagine my leg. I'll eat. I'll eat it raw. I know you would. Tartar. I will not subject. I I, I refuse to cook it. But anyway, to that game. Six minutes into the game, the early morning curse was in full fruition. Williams' pass lacking the urgency. Xhaka Xhaka was not anywhere near it. It was no. Look, actually, let me reword this one. Right now, who do you hold responsible for that goal if you pin it on one person? I think I'm going to say the boy Xhaka is, is probably the one that I thought I'm going to give it to. I think, I think he's responsible. watching it over and over and over again, arguably he gets a second... It's because he gets a second chance at it and still fucks it. And, you know, and if he doesn't... He does, to be fair, he picks himself up and goes on to have 85 fine minutes after that. But... It is one of them things where you're like, just clip it 30 yards up there and give William the slap and say, fucking hell, mate. Do you know what I mean? Look at all, like, just, just, just drop him. But he does also have an opportunity to pass the ball another two metres to the left without passing it out of play. And William would be the most advanced player to run onto it. So, but he doesn't show, the frustration with William is he doesn't show for the ball and you think, please don't have one of these. Please play with some fucking assertion for once. Like, want the ball. And then God knows what happened. It was like a thumb up the arsehole. I mean, it woke him up because he went on to have a fine game, William, and he all of a sudden played thereafter with a, with a spring in his step. The thing is, that goal, James, and I said it to you on Saturday, uh, Sunday, we have conceded so many goals similar to that in recent weeks since the turn of the year. Southampton in the cup, very weak on that same side of the pitch, very weak, score a goal. That was an own goal. Aston Villa, the Ollie Watkins goal, very weak that side of the pitch. The Man City goal came from there as well. And now Leicester. You know, it's always coming from that area. But, you know... You're right. What could have happened didn't. You would have you would have put your money, you know, we would have all put that money and not bothered watching the rest of that game because recent weeks have suggested to us that we ain't coming back from that, son. 
No, um, and, and and fight, and, and you thought actually that one of the things that Leicester are very good at is seeing games out because they are quite clinical, inviting pressure on and countering it. But to our favour, it really looked. Harvey Barnes, obviously, and we wish him well because it looks like he's going to need a surgery. Um, has it's to a go bad off. injury that, and um, you know, and obviously they'd just gone out to Slavia Prague as well, which was no good. And uh, in the Europa, and it looked like for the lion's share of the game, the fuck Vardy was holding his groin. It just didn't look that comfortable. So you know, things were starting to play certainly into our um, into into our hands, and we just needed to show some composure and some resilience and play the game with the right level of intent. It's it's always with Arsenal. I'm worried about. Do I feel like the players leave everything on the pitch? And when they do... They don't normally. No, but when but when we have those rare games where it looks like we do, like United, where we where we sort of, you know, walked past them 1-0 where we weren't that good. But it was because the players played with 100% commitment. And oh, there's just a couple of things. You know, it, party... Party made a massive difference as well when he when he came on for Helneni. Again, just shows how valuable he is. But. Yeah, yeah, he did. You know, he did. And I think, you know, there's one thing that team did show and they did rally together. They did get more and they got more into the game. Bright performances from both Pepe and William. Mm. Both bright. And yet, yeah, you know, William played well. He did. You know, we will talk about him slightly later Pepe was brilliant he was running and running and running you said this the other week he looks better when he's running at the defenders well he, he you know they were worried about the threat of, of Tierney so uh, Rogers doubled up on the right hand side with Castagna and Ricardo Pereira that Ricardo Pereira looks like a fine player by the way yeah and then they've obviously left this young lad Thomas who's quite raw with Pepe and we have seen Pepe properly put left-backs like over his knee. You know, Robertson, Shaw, to name a couple. And they had to pull the lad off at half-time and try and go double on his side. But And then arguably, he had his... After having, like you said, I think he had a man-of-the-match game. I thought he was... I, I thought he had a game. I, th- I thought he was so good, Pepe. And, you know... He was brilliant in he... defence as well, actually, Bob. Like, I've said, like, he's getting... Arteta is definitely coaching him and... and um, I, I think I've said this to you before. Abamyang says Pepe gets the most one-to-one interaction with Arteta. Arteta gets into Nico the most. I think you're right. I think Pepe could be a million-dollar baby type player. He's a fine player. He played brilliantly on Saturday. And obviously, he was the one that ran in, got pulled down. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck is that? You you look like you just put something in your hair where you you, you look like Ben Stiller on the something about Mary. You know, I'm not like you. I've just you got just like a horrific in your hair. hair. There's, there's nothing like that in there. It's unbelievable that you just dropped that one in. But yeah, we got Rubber obviously got the penalty given. Trip in the, we obviously we thought Pepe was brought down in the box. Uh, obviously, it was later seen by VAR. Our good friends at the VAR, Stockley Park. Good I still feel like that was again. a penalty, by the way. I, I, for me, you know... That was a penalty, I think. Because So, I don't actually know the answer to this. So, what happens if the foul... If your foot is on the line, is that considered in the box or not? I believe it's in the box, isn't it? Well, then, then, then it is a complete fuck, fuck show of the yeah, VAR. I, I, thought, I thought it was tight for a penalty. When he gets his first... 
Pepe's right foot is planted on the line when he gets his first contact, and then he is inside the box when he gets his second contact. Yeah, I'm. I think we should have had a penalty there. Anyway, Pepe we end up getting well. penalty moments later from you know Pepe's. Assist. But we kept we we kept on coming after that free kick. We after that penalty, which was a free kick out of the box, we kept on coming and coming and coming, and Willian with an assist. David Louise with a fine diving header, one apiece. And I do want to bring mention to something I've said to you a couple of times. I said, oh, Bob, look, Pepe is wearing Nike boots this week. <laughs> yes! And I've, I'm not a fan of these clunky fucking fluorescent puma things that he is donning. And I think that until now, obviously, that the curse of Willian has been his signing with Puma because his game against Fulham was in Nike boots and then he had this barren spell in Puma boots, but obviously then has his best game for Arsenal in um, in Puma boots. But Nicolas Pepe drops the Puma boots back into the sleek Nike little lumbers um, with a pink tinge to them and and has a fine game. But the one thing I actually wanted to just just leap on with with Pepe, I actually thought, other than his fine f- fine goal, which was a brilliant team goal, and also get onto Erdegaard's part in that goal, because he showed his class there, was I can think of three occasions where Pepe tracked a runner and actually got his foot and body in the way and actually came away with the ball and then was able to start a counter again. But I thought, I said to you at the time, I feel like him playing in front of Cedric will give him a really good opportunity to show what he has to offer. He was certainly freed by the shackles that is known as Hector Bellerin, was uh, Nicola Pepe, and it showed in absolute triplicate at the weekend. He had a fine, fine game in every element of what you would want a player that plays in his position to do. He was strong in defence. He was brilliant in attacking movements as a as a provider and he was also clinical and authoritative as a forward you know brilliant performance from Pepe I gave him man and match personally he was he was so good and you know we do and we'll talk we'll let's talk about him and Willian you know we have stood here week after week after week slated Willian and we're right to do that you know, he's had a great game. We'll now applaud him for that great game. Well done, William. You deserve that. And I hope you continue to do it. Well, I, but I don't but, think... I think Pepe deserves to keep his place because he can play in a side with Saka. But you can't... The, the side doesn't feel like it has the same balance if it has William and Saka in it. I feel like... No, it doesn't. You know, and obviously with Smith-Rowe now being injured, I hope he's not out for a long time. I'm wanting to see, and what I feel we should line up with across that that sort of that three is Saka on the right, Erdegaard in the middle, and then Pepe on the left. And I, I would, and if players are fit and we're not looking to rest players, for example, Burnley at the weekend, I would play them all like that. You know, we've had a week off. Players should be full of fitness. You know, get a game in. I would play all three of them. I play Erdegaard, Saka, Pepe. Because we need to win that game, and that's 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 had, for me had the six strongest days off now, haven't they? Oh, sorry, or six days without a game back in training. So arguably, everybody should be fit, and he has to. Albeit our league campaign is somewhat, you know, done and dusted. I think, in my honest opinion, momentum is important. I, I think we've had a poor season, and um, 
And I still feel like Arteta has a load of work to do to convince this fan base that he's the right guy for the job. But momentum is what he will need to now get past this Olympiacos tie. And each time he cambers towards Europa League success, I think he will build bricks with the fan base that are still unconvinced by his, um, his tenure. Categorically, he has to put all of his eggs in one basket. With that, I, I don't. I don't agree with that. We've only got two competitions, and form is really, really relevant to team chemistry and also players' form. So, if we continue to play crap in the Premier League, I think it's still hard to get yourself on a plane, get a face mask on, lift yourself up, go train in another country and get it done. So, you know, we've got Burnley on Saturday. Then I believe we play Olympiacos and then I believe we play Spurs, which, you know, you want all these guys thinking, fuck this, yeah, we're coming off the back of four wins here. Let's go and like, you know, you're home to Spurs. Like, let's do a job on them. I just think, you know, the Spurs game, it, it is... Tottenham Hotspur is bloody Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> what a kick in the sphincter that is. You know, luckily I can't go and see her because we're still locked down. So, uh, you know, there'll be, a Zoom, there'll be a Zoom call at 9am in the morning. Uh, <laughs> go on, Neil. But, yeah, I'm... I'm at, okay, I'm with you on that, James. You know, we mentioned Cedric playing at right back. I think we need to talk in good detail about that. I, I don't. Again, I've sometimes said like I don't want to get caught too much on this point. One of the things I want to mention was that we've said before that Bellerin's a much better, not not much better, but he is definitely a, a fine athlete. You know, he's always had pace in his game. But you know, I said to you, have you seen the BT stats? Because they actually still post a stat that I really like, which is um, distance covered, and. I think it was Tillman's that split Xhaka and Cedric. I think Xhaka covered the most turf at 11.2 and um, then Tillman's at 11.1 and uh, and Cedric at 11 kilometres. And, you know, arguably you don't have to be the quickest player in the team if you're covering that amount of ground and positionally you're very astute because I cannot remember a solitary attack that came down his flank. No, no, it was the right-hand side for Arsenal had had what what you might almost say was a perfect game, you know, they're very good, you know, very sturdy, strong, good in attack, and nullifying the attack of Leicester in their point. So that was really, really good. And I think, you know, it's not just been us talking about this week, it's been obviously widespread on Twitter, uh, all forms of social media, on and what an upgrade Cedric has proved has has been to the abysmal form that is Hector Bellerin at the moment. And I think that is, you know, our good friend Frankie said it's an absolute priority to replace Bellerin yeah. in this summer. And I think that game showed that in the finer detail that what you could get, because obviously Cedric did have a good game, but I don't think Cedric is the man to replace Bellerin. You know, no disrespect, I don't think he is. He's certainly not the person to replace Bellerin if we have top four aspirations. But but I do think he's someone who can play 25 games a season, which when you add up FA Cup, League Cup and group stages of European competitions, you somewhat get near to that. And He's exactly, he's exactly the player or the style of player that we're looking for on the left-hand side to complement Kieran Tierney. Yes, yes, exactly. So, if he was left so what we need to do ideal, is to... Yeah is to go over the top of him with a Tierney-esque style of player. 
and hope that that will then work. And that's exactly it. Yeah. You know? Uh, Agreed. Yeah. I mean, Erdegaard coming off the injured Smith row. Uh, obviously, not good to see Smith row and get injured. And that's obviously worrying. But, but Erdegaard came on and he kept up the pace. Some delightful little well, he, balls there. So the point we made earlier about them trying to kind of force Erdegaard and Smith Rowe into the same team, I actually thought he looked better with two players who feel natural playing in wide positions. And I think he likes the way Pepe plays because, you know, he gets through the lines. And, you know, people like Pepe they pull players out of position, which give tens who thrive on pockets um, a license to do stuff that they need to do. And they get to stretch opposition. And when, and the third goal, after we sort of moved through the notions, which was, if that's Arteta ball, then uh, there is something interesting to get your teeth into in the future. Because, you know, there's a fine fine ball played with distinction by Jacqueline on the carpet at pace. And, you know, then Pepe was was able to be direct. And then he gets to drop the ball off. And the speed in which Erdegaard's mind works to just almost just slip it to Willian, which actually takes Leicester out of the game. Yeah. And then, you know, the composure of Willian to, to notch up the outside of his foot through the oncoming defender's legs. And um, the easiest goal Pepe has scored in his career, I think. And, and all of a sudden, you're starting to think, hang on a second, there's some technical players here who've got really, really quite high levels of distribution skill, and they just cut apart probably one of the most composed defences in the league. And Brendan Rodgers normally thrives upon how well-structured his two banks of four are, and that, and that football just disabled it. We, we, were played a re- we were really quite... I'm going to use the word impressive, and I thought that we had lots of the game. And even when we started, when we went 1-0 down, we were getting back in that game a lot quicker than what we've done in previous weeks. And it was the reaction uh, and how that reaction kept on reacting, if you will, the, the chain reaction and how Arsenal Football Club began to play so much better. Uh, Xhaka in the middle was catalyst to that. Uh, obviously, we've mentioned the guys on the flanks and William and Pepe. But another player that was incredibly important and valuable to that was uh, was Lacazette. Yeah, yeah. Lacazette had a great game. And Lacazette, that was the first game. And this has been no disrespect to Aubameyang whatsoever because when he's worn the armband and scored hat-tricks and braces in games, he's led by example. But other elements of his game, I think, potentially can set a standard where not operating it full capacity is acceptable. And um, I thought that Lacazette, and I mentioned it earlier, he defends very tactfully. He defends with intensity. He defends in a top gear. He's very vocal, more often than not with referees and his opposition number. He tracks hard. And when required, he was clinical as well. With the penalty on on literally the wake of half time, it determined, well, the conversation that went on and, probably for both managers, but at the break. And, and that was, as I said to you earlier, he wasn't man of the match, but it was a very assured captain's performance. He did everything that he needed to do, skippering aside. And when he came off after 80-odd minutes, he looked busted, you know, like he put in a serious, serious shift. And there's nothing really else you can ask for a captain in, in that regard. All the effort in the world that they can give, absolutely. Yeah, 
you know, lots of good stuff from Arsenal on Saturday. You know, it was really such different. And, you know, then you said it to me, and this was this is your comment. We brought on party for an El, El Nene. You saw what a great player he is and what he gave us and his, how important his fitness is to adding to Arsenal Football Club and how we play and how he controls the midfield, how he allows Xhaka to do more. But that substitution at 3-1 up has got to be the only time this season where Arteta or Arsenal have made a substitution and the opposition are actually hating us for that substitute. We improved our team. We turned the screw on Leicester by being able to take off El Mene and bring on Party. They must have been like, shit in hell. That was largely probably to do with, for the first time in as long as I can remember, that was a really, really impressive bench. You know, Bellerin, Saka, Ceballos, Erdegaard, Aubameyang, Holding, Party, Ryan, Martinelli. I mean, that's, a proper bench. Yeah, it is. It's a strong bench, you know. And, you know, Saka was, was Saka on the bench? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant bench, you know. And we could have brought in any of those players and that would have really uh, bounced and been a catalyst towards the team and how that played. You know, it was a good performance. You know, Arsenal winning 3-1 on a Sunday. You know, all of a sudden your weekend isn't ruined, all of this. You know, go back the last few weeks, it's like absolute... You know, one nil down. You're thinking this is going to be the ruination of I mean, my if Sunday. You, if you think about the players who weren't on the bench, you know, because I would like to take El Nenny out of that twenty and see where else I can get strength. No Chambers, uh, no Gabriel. Obviously, you've got Willock, Maitland, Niles, Nelson all out on loan. Is Nelson out on loan, or is he just not getting? Paid? No, he's in the squad. Sorry, in the squad. There's no um, <laughs> Balogun. No Balogun. There's no Enketia. Yeah. You know, so there's there's still a fair chunk of players missing. And and yeah, it was um Willock was the one I was looking for. Yeah, so you know, it's 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 arguably exciting times, like um if they can sustain it. But like I said, you know, we keep saying one swallow, but it, it is very true. We've had a good week out of thirty odd so far, where things have come together two games in a row. But they have to show that that sort of consistency now. The fact that we're still 12 points behind them, we're still 10 points behind West Ham, we're fucking moons away from Man City, who are having a great season, but and we are only, what, we were, nine, we were in the top half of the table for a couple of hours, I think, or ahead of Spurs for all of a couple of hours, who, disem, who, dis, who disempowered foul, foul, Burnley. So, yeah, yeah, and Bale's starting to find some form, just as we're about to fucking play him. So... You know, it's this need. We need to be talking like this in two months' time, and then, then maybe you know we can we can take a look at things. And a lot of those players who have rightfully drawn some praise from us this week need to still be playing like that at the end of March. As does Mikel Arteta, because one of the things he's done in the last two games is he showed more intent. They want to risk more. And I, I've, it's for, I've looked in back-to-back games now and not thought to myself, I can see what you're doing. You're, you just don't want to do this and you're stubborn. You know, he actually played almost like a bit off the cuff, a bit more flair in his team selections, picking the right players. So if he can continue in that vein, not this 
reserved, risk-free character, then I think that could bode us well. Obviously, he's not going to go out there and play, you know, Newcastle, Kevin Keegan style, you know, you score eight, we'll score nine type football. But, you know, certainly a little less stubborn, a bit more forward thinking. And I think, you know, that's going to be brilliant. You know, I can get behind him if he's going to play like he did on Saturday, if he's going to manage a team like he did on Saturday. But, you know, we've had two good results in a week, but those two good results, in my opinion, are balancing on the knife edge that was Saka's cross to Aubameyang. And if it wasn't for that cross, then I think we could be being knocked out of Europe and we could have probably got beat and gone down after that early goal against Leicester. I think that that singular moment has turned what could be deemed a bad week into a very good week. Yes, the results don't lie. Paper will tell you that Arsenal beat Benfica. Paper will tell you that Arsenal beat Leicester. Of course they will. But what they won't tell you is that that goal, that moment of brilliance by Saka and that brilliant finish by Aubameyang, whereas 12 months prior against Olympiacos, he missed it. You know, even seven days earlier against Benfica, he's missed an open goal. That, that moment for me, is the week in a nutshell. And if we convert those small margins where we have been in past weeks for various reasons, poor performance, bad luck with VAR and things like that, you know, David Luiz, the David Luiz incident with that red card was a similar moment to that Saka cross. We got the favourable on the Saka cross this week, we didn't get the favour on the David Luiz incidents. We need to turn the small margins into our positive moments and you will see Arsenal go right up the table, right to the finals of competitions. But those margins aren't just bits of luck like a sack across or a Luis and then off. That's Arteta making the right substitution, making the right team selection. That's a player wanting to give a little bit more of a shit you know, not a Pepe headbutt here or a Xhaka throttle here. All of those things you can't just blame one person for. They're all moments in our season that have cost us results. You know, I think I read someone on Twitter, when actually this season have Arsenal taken a spanking? Well, they haven't, but that's largely to do with the setting up of how Arteta sets his team up because we've said in the past that we don't think he allows himself to be exposed to a a whitewashing. But then, you know, he hasn't scored six goals in a, in a week that I can remember for whenever, which he has done this week against Benfica and Leicester, who are arguably in a quite strong opposition. So, and, and we've won 6-3. And I think historically, we might have won two games, 3-2 or 3-1 or 2-0, you know, just and, and just sort of half-inch past them. But productive substitutions that are bringing on players who can do things in the opposition third and create and doing that in both teams and also getting something more out of his forward players has has led to us, you know, scoring goals the way I think a lot of fans probably remember Arsenal score goals. So, look, it was two good wins. We've got Burnley uh, this coming Saturday. Early kickoff again, I think. Yeah, it's a 12 o'clock kickoff. 12.30 on BT again this Saturday. It doesn't do me any favours. You know, I've always said I don't like an early kickoff. I really don't like an early kickoff. It, you know, I can't... 
it's harder for me to earn the brownie points to actually get to watch the game. And by the time I've watched the game, it's like half two and there's not much I could do in the, the weekend. Not that there's much you can no do in the weekend No one wants a foot now. spar at 2.30, do they? Oh, no. And I can't even say, you know, she wants to go to home bargains, you know? She wants to go to home bargains. But at 2.30, I would have been like, well, you know, I've been from a beer 52 box. <laughs> <laughs> But no, Burnley last week was spanked off the park by Spurs. Yeah. I mean, they were probably we owe, quite lucky to get off of it 4-0, really. I mean, it looked like yeah. it should be a lot worse. But We owe them after what happened in November. You know, when Aubameyang scored that own goal. We definitely owe them for that. Uh, I think what I want us to do, uh, obviously, let's just have a look at the fixtures. We've got Burnley on Saturday. So directly off Burnley on, Burnley on Saturday, we go back to Greece and the where we just were last week to the Georgios Karakias Stadium. Don't go with my cab driver from this morning, though, because he'll try and take you to the Panathinaikos' ground. Uh, so we're away 8 o'clock on uh, GMT against Olympiakos. So we do have two games in a week and obviously Spurs the following Saturday. So personally... I think we need to put um, a reasonably strong side to keep the form up, like you just said. But I would be expecting for players to be reserved because uh, what might happen on the 11th and the what's going to happen on the 11th and the 14th of March are, and the 18th of March, respectively, are far more important games. So I'll probably go Leno, Cedric, Holding, Mary, and. Tierney, middle of the park, I will play Xhaka, who's played 12 games on the spin, 90 minutes a game. No, no shines of waning. I go, I'd probably go Xhaka and Party to, to start with this time. Across the, the top, obviously, you've got uh, Smith Rowe out. Erdegaard's got to play because he's going to go back to Madrid. We might as well try and get as much as we can out of him. I'd play Saka and Pepe, but I wouldn't play them for the full 90. And I'd play probably a Bamiang as well. He owes Burnley one. I'd actually like them to play as almost a stronger team as possible because if it's if it's convincing, then it should play on the Thursday. And if if it travels well, it should play on the Saturday or Sunday when the Spurs game is. So I would like to see the same back five as the um as the Leicester game. I'd like to see Party come in for El Nenny. I'd like to see Saka come in for Willian, but Pepe and Saka um, alternate uh, wings, and I, I would, and I think Aubameyang needs to play. So because um, he's he's technically had a week off work because he only played seven minutes at the end of the Leicester game. So yeah, because whilst I appreciate you got to rest players, you also need to keep people back sharp. So it's uh, it's a it's a it's lesser two evils. So and I think I, I I think you might continue to score goals actually um Arteta so I am going to say 3-1 and Martin Erdegaard will break his Arsenal duck 3-0 Aubameyang hat-trick fucking Nora okay you know me I'm coming with some attacking vigour yeah I I think we'll win this weekend I think we're going to win in the week against Olympiacos as well. And I also think we're going to beat Spurs. So we will win five games in a row. Oh, no, no we'll beat Greeks three, so six games in a row. I'll tell you what, uh, we will draw against West Ham on Sunday the 21st of March. But up to that, we'll win every game. 
And Saturday the 3rd of April, Easter Saturday that is, so it'll probably be moved that game to be honest with you, Liverpool at the Emirates. I think we're going to beat Liverpool. You know, I'm just going for it. I'm telling you how it's going to be. I, mean, I, I know, I know around this time of year we beat them last season, but I mean, they were, they were all but champions this time they around. They were champions. It was game over. This time you know? around, they are obviously very much not champions and they need to cement their their Champions League football. So I think it might be a very different Liverpool. But anyway, that's miles away. You mentioned Easter, Bob. If you are only allowed due to Nicola putting the pinch on the Easter egg contributions this year. If you're allowed one Easter egg to hit the proverbial fireplace, what are you stacking up there? So I get to pick my own... E- I am a ma- I tell you an Easter egg, and it's, it's, you know, obviously you want brands here. You don't want me to say, oh, I really would like a, uh, you know, a fine Easter egg. The, uh, the Yorkie Easter egg... I tell you why I like the Yorkie Easter egg because the chocolate in the egg is actually very, very thick. That's a good Easter egg. You can obviously go fine dining, go for your green and blacks, and go to your waitrose and things like Cadbury's that. Cadbury's Easter eggs is elite level chocolate. Do you know what? <laughs> we will talk Easter eggs. There's a couple of points as to why. The foiling of the Easter egg is phenomenally crafted. Whoever they've got in their factory, their customer care is of the highest etiquette. The detailing in the chocolate, the stenciling in the chocolate is un- is, is is irreplaceable. No one else goes for that level of detail. And the beauty of it is, is it, it is obviously of the dairy milk variety. It's obviously used in the 89 and 11% blend, but it is... <laughs> The best chocolate they put out, they they draw you in every year because they just go up a slight gear. You know, they just drop the clutch and just roar. They just get a little right. bit of roar out of that engine. And I will Last go for a Whisper Gold. That will be my nudge. Two Whisper Golds and an, an Easter egg. Thank you for Last, coming. Last year at Easter, if I remember rightly, Waitrose with old Heston Blumenthal actually created a chocolate scotch egg which was all chocolate inside, but obviously mimicked the setup of Scotch Air. We haven't got time for that debate today, but that was something they brought out last year. Let's see what they bring out this year, because obviously last year a lot of chocolate they brought out for Easter wasn't eaten due to the fact that no one could celebrate Easter. So let's hope we can this year. I'm utterly shocked that you held on to that information and the person in the buying and tasting mark department of Waitrose has not been nominated as a fuck of the week by you. Oh, they might do. You know, look, I'm, I'm going to go and do some research in the chocolate. By the way, talking of chocolate and chocolate oranges and scenario like that, I have noticed that Galaxy have introduced their own hat into the ring with a chocolate orange variety of... Galaxy Bar, so I will be writing to them uh, to let them know my disdain in the next few hours. I've um, never known someone write to manufacturers so often as you. I, I just there's, if there is a manufacturer in the land who hasn't heard from you, then they aren't worth knowing. No, they've obviously done nothing wrong. Uh, I tell you, I tell you, a manufacturer I've never written to. And very unlikely too, uh, Tunnocks with their caramel wafer. Oh. You know, they they definitely operate in the realms of it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> Is that a sweet or a bar? That's a sweet. It's no, it's not a sweet. That's not a sweet. <laughs> anyway, talking of great suppliers, remember www.beer52.com forward slash Jim Bob. What shape is a Tunnocks caramel bar? It's bar shaped. Exactly. It? You fuck.
You. So early nominations for episode 21 is Bob as fuck of the week because he continues to try and call chocolate bars sweets in his quest to play with the mind. But um, anyway, it's been a fine week. Good week, Arsenal. Well done. Please keep it up regularly because I enjoy conversations like this. Love you all. Stay safe. Um, make sure you do get on www.beer52.com forward slash Jim Bob. And um, God knows what can of what Bob will be trying next time. But um, anyway. I might I... bring Sank out of the realms. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Jim. And I've been Bob. See you guys soon. Bye-bye now. <laughs>